listening know that uh, Batman is probably the character that's been the biggest part of my life. But Spider-Man was there, too. Spider-Man was there, too. I remember there was a show in the late 70s that was probably my introduction to Spider-Man. I remember seeing the Toy Biz Spider-Man action figure. And then occasionally I would check out a Spider-Man issue when I could find it at the corner store or the pharmacy or wherever. Uh, I would totally check out Spider-Man. One of the characters that has been harder for me to draw just because of all of that webbing, all of that webbing. But I'm sure that there are some existing copies of old Spider-Man drawings that I attempted and I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but, uh, you know, back in the day, I would just kind of get introduced to characters as I went with issues. So, I mean, before Doc Ock, before Green Goblin, before the classic Central Rogues Gallery, I was reading Spider-Man battling people like Rocket Racer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and uh, Puma, Puma, Puma. Puma. I don't know. I still Puma. I don't. Puma. I don't know how to say his name, but uh, that character as well. I should really look that up. <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely a favorite, and it, it's just hard not to love Spider Man in some iteration or other. Yeah, there's something about the character that always works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like especially in what the little era that we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> Sometimes he was drawn. You know cast in heavy shadow and kind of a creepy figure but then again he was you know on the next page he is the light-hearted wise-cracking character uh mm-hmm. and so he could go back and forth he could be on the streets he could be you know if they put him in space somehow he still worked like you know mm-hmm. if he was on uh the battle world for the secret wars he still worked as a character and I don't know, he just seems like such a universal character. He just always worked. Um, but I love the character. I've loved the character for a very long time. I remember jumping off the couch and pretending I was shooting webs, you know. Absolutely. Uh, that was a long time ago, uh, probably my college years. I but, was going to say maybe a few minutes ago. Was yeah. yeah. Um, but like Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And um, then I had a couple of Marvel team-ups that really introduced me to the character. But this era today, probably more than any era I could talk about, is kind of like getting into a time machine. Mm, for sure. Because we're, we're talking about the era, I would say basically it's the McFarlane, Michelini run from, you know, what, 299, 298 to uh, like the... 328 maybe Mm -hmm. Um, that sounds sounds like the right range yeah it's that era that i was able to get comics for christmas and birthdays and and find them on the stands and get them and my friends were talking about this todd mcfarlane guy Mm -hmm. and so and david michelini's writing kind of um it made like this huge instead of impression, I'm going to say like an imprint on my brain. Like there's a few writers that I read so much of their stuff that it's almost like if I ever try to write anything, it sounds like them, a poor rip off of them, but like Roger Stern, Chris Claremont and David Michelini, they're the ones that I think kind of shaped my writer's brain. Mm 
Um, but yeah, so I, I love this character. I love this era. And, you know, we talked about the Dark Phoenix saga, which was very special to me, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like I kind of, yeah, yeah. But I kind of found the X-Men stuff a little bit later. But this stuff was with me since I was like 10, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, getting the, this McFarlane run. Um, so I guess we'll just go ahead and start with the, <clears throat> you want to start with uh, maybe 308 here? Yeah, yeah. And true to um, comic obsessive form, you were asking me what issue we should look at. So right before the last recording, we were kind of scrolling through and looking and I couldn't pick one. I could not pick one. And so we have 300 and something and 308 was the first one you mentioned. Um, so I read that, checked it out, and I, I also checked out a few others in the uh, in the range, in the Pantheon. Pantheon, is that a good word to use there? Uh, 313, 316, and 318, just kind of jumping around. Mainly, not to judge a book by its cover, but I was trying to check out you know the covers that I kind of remembered, the ones that you were recommending, uh, and just kind of read around in those areas. So yeah, 308, man, what a cover. Yeah, I got this for my 10th birthday. And like I say, I'd read a couple of uh, Marvel team ups with Spider-Man, you know, drawn in the early 80s. And I had seen him in the late 70s with uh, not at the time, you know, I saw those back issues in like Marvel Tales and things. Mm-hmm. But this was like my kind of first intro to the modern Spider-Man. And <clears throat> sad to say at first, I did not like it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the cover. That grabbed me. I was like, whoa, what is going on on this cover? It's Spider-Man. Um, basically, he has Taskmaster down on the ground and has him like, it's a real threatening kind of pose. You know, he's got him by the, the cape and he's holding him down. And Taskmaster looks pretty, uh, pretty upset and pretty helpless against yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. His, his face is cast in, in that shadow and got that full moon behind it. It's a pretty sinister cover, actually. Yeah, it almost looks like a, a Moon Knight or Batman or, you know, something like that. And, I mean, I looked at that and immediately thought Mick Farland. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of those vibes coming through of, like, this is a, a little bit of a darker tone. Yeah. And then I opened it. And I still remember looking at that first page and going, who the heck is that? Uh-huh. Because that is not how Peter Parker is drawn. Like it took reading the other characters dialogue to be like, oh, is that Peter? Because it didn't look like him. It didn't look like the way uh, John Romita Sr. drew him, you know, and that was kind of the, the industry guide, right? You had mm-hmm. Steve Ditko invent the character for, three years and then Ramita came on and his stylings of the, the cast kind of became the iconic looks of them from the sixties through the seventies, the eighties until McFarlane got a hold of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, who the heck is this guy with the weird hair? You know, right. I, I didn't all the curly hair, <laughs> curly hair and like all the detail in the hair. And it was, uh, I just thought it was odd looking. But I read it, and I read it a few times, and then it clicked, and I loved it. Um, If you don't know the issue in 308, 
Mary Jane, whom uh, Spider-Man is married to, Peter Parker's married to, has been kidnapped. And she is being held captive by this jerk named Jonathan Caesar, who is obsessed with her. And I'll admit, I was probably a little young to, to read this. Um, not that it was highly inappropriate, but it certainly had some adult themes and ideas in it. For sure. Even, even the, the design of the character, certain pages with Mary Jane, I'm like, oh, this is hmm, a little little bit more racy in terms of showing the character and stuff. Yeah, it really was. But I certainly do not fault my parents for like getting this for me for my birthday or anything like that. If anything, I appreciate it because they they got me such a uh, a comic from one of the most iconic eras of the character that's ever been. And so she is kidnapped and he is talking to Mary Jane and Spider-Man is looking for Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. He's threatening crooks. He's going about his daily life, still his mind on Mary Jane trying to find her. And by the end he confronts, he's got a lead to taskmaster. And so he confronts taskmaster and Taskmaster, as Taskmaster always does, <clears throat> he gets away. But before he gets away, he says something like, you know, what does he say? Um, and here's a part and shot. I don't have the broad. So, you know, not exactly politically correct language, but of course that right. matches up with the character. Talking like a like a 40s or 50s gangster there, you know, just a parting shot, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, but he doesn't have her, and Spider-Man believes him because he's like, yeah, he would torment me, right? If if he had her, he couldn't resist, you know, rubbing that in. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, he swings off, still dejected. Um, spoiler: he does get he does find Mary Jane next issue, and I'm I I was pretty happy to see that Mary Jane was not just a damsel in distress and that next yeah. issue. She definitely plays a hand in her getting free. Um, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and that's good to see because in this issue we've got like, you know, there's the slap scene. Yeah. Kind of knocked around. Um, yeah. There's all of that. So it's good to see her kind of be part of that. Yeah. It really was. I didn't, I don't think I caught this the first couple of times that I read this um, because like I say, I was 10, but um, she's actually being held right below him. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like in the, in the same building as he is just <coughs> underneath. And so, but that's how the issue ends is with him in silhouette as Peter Parker standing there pacing, you know, missing Mary Jane, worried sick, and she is in the window below him, which once I saw that as a kid, that probably taught me, you know, irony, you know, dramatic irony. For sure. Where we knew a little bit more than, than Peter did, what was going on on the page. So it was a great issue with some great dialogue, I thought. Because, like I say, I love Michelini as a writer. Are there any parts that kind of stand out to you, either yeah. art or story? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. But, uh, you know, going with 
Michelini as a writer really great at that A story, B story. Yeah. You know, where we have kind of what's happening with Mary Jane. We have what's happening with Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. And that's something that I kind of picked up on all through the issues I was reading. It kind of feels like, you know, the characters are going to be okay, but the tension does feel real. The way that he builds that tension feels real. Uh, Partially, I think with that irony of her being right there and Peter trying to get to her, uh, I mean, really strong writing there. And then really speaks to the character as like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, because these are not like your big spanning epic storylines. I kind of felt like each issue, if I had just read that issue on its own, like if I had just read 308 on its own and not read the, you know, the 10 after it or whatever, it would have been a good read all on its own, even though it's part of this connected storyline. And I think that in itself takes a good bit of talent to share a story that's like big enough on its own. I miss that sometimes in modern comics. I'll read a comic and think, okay, I'm, I'm getting a really good chunk of the story here, but it feels more like I'm just getting kind of the next chapter onto the next issue that they want you to get. But these stand on their own and connect to the larger storyline. And I just like how that works. I'm not sure exactly how you do that as a writer. I'm not sure how the, the masters of comics have done that, but I really appreciated that. And then as far as the art, I mean, page eight in particular stands out as being like, not only getting to see Todd McFarlane's design of the character, you know, he kind of looks like he could actually jump up on a wall with those like muscular legs. Yeah. Um, And then like, I mean, he's in the center of that page, But then it's really cool to see the way that even the layout of the page is done with his webbing sort of breaking apart the page. It's really a page worth looking at. Um, And then you get other pieces of the story through the corner panels, which are it's not your even paneled kind of spread kind of layout. It's uh, more or less, you know, gathered around his webbing there. So really creative that way. Uh, Really interesting. He does a similar thing where Peter's talking to Aunt May on page 10 and does some interesting things with the panels. And then one more thing about the art, and and I'll hand it over to you to do some celebrating, Adam. Uh, On page 12 of this issue, you know, when I was reading this for the first time, I probably didn't know who Todd McFarlane was. I really didn't realize and appreciate who he was until well into the image years, until the spawn years. I just knew, oh, this is a cool looking book or, oh, this is one of my favorite characters. But just to see the, this might be a weird thing to celebrate, but the landscaping, yeah. you know? I mean, the way that he designs that sort of graveyard setting where Spider-Man's hanging out, uh, very, very creepy vibes. Got this like moss hanging off of the trees the shadow of the character. And then the first time I saw Taskmaster again in this issue, I didn't immediately recognize Taskmaster. And then I was like, oh, that's who that is. Because it's just a really cool character design. Yeah. I Speaking of the Taskmaster re- reveal, I don't think I realized who that was on the cover as a kid, but mm-hmm. I, I had a Marvel team up with uh, Spider-Man and Ant-Man, the Scott Lang Ant-Man where they fought Taskmaster. And for me, with such limited 
comics at, at my disposal to see an, a character pop up again, that was like a huge deal for me. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I know him. And like, you know, I saw the part, the little asterisk, a little footnote that they do where it says, you know, um, it, it, let's see, the two met in Marvel team up 103. Mm-hmm. I just, it blew my mind. I remember going, I have that. And I would run and, and go get 103 and look at it and be like, yeah, I do have that. Mm-hmm. It was like a huge deal for me as a little kid, you know, to have that, um, to see that that character again, because it wasn't like Captain America, you know, it wasn't a character that was all over the place. Right. Pretty obscure character. But um, speaking about the art, yeah, I mean, going back to that one page that you were talking about where Spider-Man's threatening the hood, as he calls him, uh, or well, mm-hmm. the, the narrative calls him. Yeah, it's just such a dynamic layout that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen a page look look like that before. Um, in the writing, um, it, where I love the part where it says, uh, and fear can be contagious. Small time hood, Chili Bono or Bono catches it bad. And he's threatening this, as he calls him, a hood to get information about this Mary Jane uh, Parker person, right? You know, he's got to keep up that facade. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, the writing I felt was like so crisp and I felt like so mature um, as a 10 year old to, to read that type of narrative and to read their um their dialogue like there's a part where spider-man throws the mattress on the fire and he says uh let me let me get to that part um i'll throw these wrestling mats on and as he walks away the fire is like jumping up and it says maybe that'll make it burn better and for some reason as a kid that struck me you know it like really spoke to me about his mindset and his mood and I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, it certainly, I guess this was a kid's comic in a way because of the era that it was written, or at least a teenager comic. Yeah. A teenager, you know, audience. But it just felt so mature and just kind of eye-opening with what the written word could do and how it could capture mood and, and tone and everything. Um, but I could go on and on about Todd McFarlane's art. So, um, I'll, you know, I'll skip that speech, but uh, I just find it to be so interesting and just, just beautiful. It's just beautiful to me. Um, and it is unique. I mean, you talked about seeing Peter Parker for the first time, but looking back at that, you know, you see the way the Mary Jane's designed, you see Peter Parker's design later on there's some monsters in one of the issue and it's like, Hey, that kind of looks like the violator. I mean, you get like yeah. all of those Todd McFarlane esque kind of marks and style that really comes through. I mean, you look at it and you think, okay, even in the, it's weird, but even in the jacket or the clothing, it's like, okay, that, that, that looks very McFarlane right there. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that this was the beginning of the era of superstar artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, McFarlane was one of those superstar artists. But the other one, besides Liefeld, was Jim Lee. And Jim Lee had a ton of copycats. Like so many people tried to mimic 
his style, his way of cross hatching and everything. And so even the other popular artists, Rob Liefeld, uh, Wallace Portacio, they, they kind of had a similar style to Jim Lee, you know, right. Right. wasn't so far, but I felt like Todd McFarlane's style was so different from, from theirs that he didn't even have, I don't feel like as many copycats. Um, he had a guy named, or there was a guy named uh, Stephen Platt who drew the last few issues of the Mark Spector Moon Knight series, mm-hmm. last five is- issues of that, maybe six. And he did a Spider-Man cover and it had everybody talking because it looked a lot like McFarland. Right. Looking back at it now, I can say, oh, he was going for that, but man, he fell short. Now he turned into a, just a phenomenal artist, but at that time he was pretty new, but mimicking McFarland, but there weren't many other mimics of McFarland. You know, he was really kind of his own thing. At least I always felt that way. Yeah. I've not, not encountered anybody that did exactly what he does. And he's been, he's been pretty prolific in continuing to work on comics and, Uh, was one of those people, even if you didn't know comics, I mean, in the 90s, you kind of knew of him through his various ventures. I mean, smart in his business thinking, too. Yeah. Getting his name out there with, like, the McGuire Sosa uh, home run contest and and all of that. Uh, And then marketing with action figures now, um, which, I mean, his figures started in the 90s, too, but they they continue to spread his name around, too. Like, you can go to Walmart right now and see the Superpowers re-released McFarlane toys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, you know, I think he is one of the highest talents of the comic industry, at least when it comes to art. Maybe not story, um, like pure scripting of the plot and dialogue, but Mm -hmm. definitely of the art. And while I hold him in such high esteem there, I don't know. I think it'd be hard to be around somebody like him because he seems to be so driven. Yeah. um, Yeah. That like, you can't stop him. You can't, he's not, I wouldn't say he's not a nice guy because I don't know him. But he just seems to be such a driven guy. Like, I, I love the story where he goes to the action figure companies and he's like, I want to do a figure like this. And they're like, well, we don't do it like that. And he goes, well, why not? And like, he right. goes, yeah. And like, he just wanted to do it that way. He said, by gosh, he did do it that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but which I admire. I do admire that. I, I just think it'd be maybe tough to be around, but I don't know. Um, what other issue were we going to talk about? Yeah. Um, so one of the others, I mean, if you if you want to go in order, the next one I read was 313. Also checked out 316 and 318 as well. Um, and I will say, I mean, McFarlane with those toys, with the action figures, with a lot of things that he's done. Uh, one thing that he does well is he seems to know what fans want. True. He seems to know what people are after. Uh at least a, a good bit of the fan base. It's hard to speak for everybody, but yeah, um, definitely one of those guys that you can tell invests in the work. Uh, issue three thirteen. I, I got to say, I was really surprised by the way that it started out. Was this uh, Sharknado inspired? Was this? 
I think uh, this inspired Sharknado. Yeah, yeah, most likely that was yeah. it. That was it. Um, yeah, because this issue starts out with a, a shark attack, and almost the entire issue could be summed up as kind of a creature feature to me, because on page thirteen, the lizard is the primary antagonist in this one. By the way, dear listener out there, just did a Stan Lee move with dear listener. Um, <laughs> on page 13, you've got those monster creatures that I was talking about that totally just bring out that McFarlane kind of design of like the violator to me. And then I guess one of my my moments of like, oh, well, that's interesting. Is uh, Spider-Man destroying the Chrysler building in this? That happened? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I appreciate that he, uh, as a Conan fan, I appreciate that. Uh, let me get to that part where he is. Yeah, he grabs the the spire off the Chrysler building, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, um, "I have to resist an overpowering urge to yell, Crom." As a kid, I read right. that. I read that as Chrome. I was like, "Oh, because it's a shiny building." Like yep. I was, I was a dumb kid, you know. No, but, no. But now, um, or looking back at it after a few years, and I had discovered Conan and the stories and the comics and everything. Now I understand what's going on here. You know, he is the 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 barbarian slaying the gigantic monster with a sword type instrument. Yeah, and, and I mean, again, with that panel layout, just so cool. And I was just defending your inner child, by the way, when you were like, I was a dumb kid. Um, <laughs> not at all. Not at all, young Adam. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the dynamic pose there, the way that page works, the figure kind of jumping through the middle. I mean, you you see some of that really creative layout happening in this book, too. Not quite not quite as often as in 308, which is interesting, but page nine has a similar really, really cool layout with a uh, character face on one side, and then you have some jagged panels. So some really, some really interesting approach to the page there. I wonder if, I don't know if this was a conscious decision, but to me that 308 with its, uh, really dynamic panel layout almost kind of creates that tone of mm -hmm. yeah in his mind like his mindset is reflected in those panels you know he's so upset and those panels are so unique and off the beaten path that maybe i don't know i, I don't know if that was a conscious decision on mcfarland's part to do it like that but that's what it kind of created in me as a reader definitely yeah yeah, the kind of upset mindset. Um, I'll also say that this was a Christmas issue for me. Um, I got 313 for Christmas and I opened it up <clears throat> and there's like Spider-Man bleeding on the cover. I was like, what the heck? You know, this mm -hmm. <clears throat> here's OK. Here's this McFarlane guy again. But yeah, I was just all into it. And um, again, with the writing. If you look, I guess it's, I'm reading this uh, from the Marvel app. So one, two, three. <clears throat> the way um, those narrative panels talk about Spider-Man, as, as a kid, it gave me chills. You know, it says, but even without his distinctive red and blue costume, his webbing, strength, 
encourage, mark him for the man he is, and he defeats this gigantic shark um, swimming down the what tunnel? Do we know? Uh, Would this be the Lincoln Tunnel? Is that right? Yeah. The, the Midtown Tunnel. Yeah. Sharks swimming through the Midtown Tunnel. That's what yeah. And so if that sounds really weird to a reader who's like, why would a shark be swimming through a traffic tunnel? It's because it's Inferno. And Inferno was a huge X-Men crossover that um, where like New York was almost being possessed. And it was almost kind of Ghostbusters vibe there with like, you know, street signs coming to life. Um I remember there was a issue of Spectacular Spider-Man where he's like swinging over some duct work and it comes to life. And it all sounds very silly and ridiculous. But as a kid, I mean, it had me. I was like, what the heck is going on with this? Um, because, I, you know, I did not have all the issues. I really didn't know what was going on. But years later, I kind of pieced it all together and understood that it was just like basically almost like demonic possession, really going on in new york at the time and which i guess really kind of coincides with ghostbusters 2 i don't know if it i don't know if inferno was inspired by the whole ghostbusters idea you know um, True. yeah there might have been some some pop culture happenings with that yeah and i love the fact that the spider-man balloon is what he has to attack what he has to mm-hmm. you know, um put it into where he pops. And then of course he wise cracks at the end where he says something like, um, uh, he says something like, ah, Fooey, the, the eyes were all wrong anyway, <laughs> you know, which was kind of a little meta commentary. I felt like since McFarlane had changed the eyes and the balloon was from like the Ramita. Yeah. Know, you know, we didn't talk about this, but in that 308, when we see taskmaster, walking uh through the graveyard did you notice the gravestones yes i did yeah yeah Yeah. um do you want me to to talk about that or do you want to mention it i i mean they're just uh it's whatever you want to do if you if you have something to say about it i just noticed i don't think i knew it as a kid oh for sure yeah when i look back i was like oh my gosh because the gravestones are like romita Mm-hmm. JRJR, yeah. I think they were all Spider-Man artists except for Kane. Yeah. And then, of course, McFarlane worked on Batman covers. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered if that was kind of like a little, you know, tip of the hat to his other work at the other company. Yeah. Yeah. It's it kind of looks like it. And we got friends there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah ron friends yeah and ron friends was a the artist before mcfarland i think at least uh not too far before uh mcfarland came on because ron friends worked with uh tom defal De- tom defalco on spider-man uh and they told like the kind of the uh the issues where the the symbiote became venom you know Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Where, they, where he found out that it was alive, that it was an alien. So that was kind of a, I don't know, tip of the hat to that as well. Yeah, very, very cool little thing to notice going on in those panels. The first time I saw that, I was like, huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not the first time, but this time reading it, I, I, 
kind of had that chuckle of like, ah, that was some purpose. There you go. I love all the visual gags in comics. We could probably do an entire series of podcasts on visual gags in For comics. For sure. You Just know. little things that you can only do in comics. Yeah. There's a issue of Thor where um, Simonson has taken over and Thor is trying a new secret identity of a construction worker and he puts on glasses and he says something, somebody says something like this will never work or Thor maybe thinks it'll <laughs> never work. And he walks out of the room and he runs into a really dark, like black headed um, newspaper reporter in a blue suit wearing glasses and he knocks him down. And uh, the guy looks back at him and goes, hey, that almost looks like, nah, never mind or something, which is obviously mm-hmm. a Clark, Clark Kent reference, right? Absolutely. But yeah, those visual gags are so fun. What else? What's next? Well, we got probably, uh, I should ask, do you have a favorite of, of this kind of segment that we've been looking at? Because I think my favorite of what we've read might be the next one up. So let's see. We start with 308. <clears throat> 313 what's our next one uh the next one would be 316 316 oh yeah the first full-fledged venom cover yeah <clears throat> actually i don't think we had planned to talk about what was my favorite uh, oh no from but it's okay i was going to mention it um the cover to me is just blew my mind my uncle my uncle mike bought this for me at a at a bookstore the but i'll get to that one in a minute let's let's talk about 316 did you say 316 this venom guy he went out there he went yeah one of those yeah kind of like uh condiment king just a, a side character yeah i don't i don't think anybody's really heard of him Mm. Um, but kind of a Spider-Man ripoff, really. Yes. Yeah. What, what do you have to say about this issue? What did you like about this issue? For some reason, in my mind, when I think back to this issue, the rat getting webbed up. I mean, that's a small detail, but that image kind of stuck in my mind as a kid. I saw that somewhere. I read this issue, or I read a reprint because that just it brought back my first reading of this to me. That's on page three. And oh my goodness. I mean, talked a little bit about the tension that was being built in 308. You totally feel this tension. It almost works as kind of a horror film in a way, this issue Uh, from that first for, well, let's talk the cover first, where again, we've got like the blood dripping off of Venom's, you know, talons there. Yep. Um, you know, you feel those stakes are real, that we got the like green marking there that says Venom is back. And then the first page, again, very McFarlane in design. There's no denying that it's Todd McFarlane. You got kind of this bum guy, derelict is uh, what they call him. Um, and he's running away, splashing down this tunnel very very action oriented in his pose looks very much like the clown there and then you've got venom in shadow you don't even completely see venom 
over his shoulder and the issue title is dead meat down at the bottom in like really uh 70s horror film poster print before you see the the mast of people that have worked on it and just really that sets the tone for the character venom it sets the tone for the issue and it just kind of works in that really really cool way um all through this issue you see the the difference between these two characters and if there is a character that you know i mentioned rocket racer and puma 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 uh were some of the first villains that i met but if there's a a villain that feels like the classic spider-man villain of my childhood it's not actually green goblin it'd probably be venom because it's just such a powerful memorable uh, storyline venom and carnage yeah i agree i feel like sometimes the um the best bad guys are the ones who are how do i say this kind of closely resembles the hero but is also opposite of the hero Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you got like spider-man and venom right you have like daredevil and bullseye right you know you you have like iron man and like he's faced a number of armored villains over the over the years one was like titanium man um but those villains who seem to almost mirror they're almost like a warped mirror of the hero i love those i love those bad guys and that's certainly what venom is um Go ahead. Yeah, that, I was just going to say, there are critics of some of the Marvel movies that are like, why do they always do that with villains? Why is Killmonger, why does he ultimately become like this different version of Black Panther? But I love that too. And it's kind of the way the characters work. It's the way the yeah. dynamics work. You've got that dynamic. You've got like Doctor Strange and Dormammu. I mean, that's, to me, uh, that's a really cool kind of interplay of character and villain uh, to have somebody that mirrors them that way. And then just to compare the design of Venom to black symbiote suit Spider-Man, which when I first saw him as a kid, I was like, why is he wearing that cool suit? I don't know, but it's a cool suit. It drove um, me crazy trying to figure that out for like years. Same. Yeah, I was like, well, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, the physical structure of Venom, you totally see it through mix mcfarland's work in this book like he's this hulking mass of a character versus kind of the lankier uh which mcfarland draws him in a muscular way but the lankier smaller spider-man yeah so kind of a david and goliath kind of thing that happens yeah and <clears throat> i'm looking at that panel with the rat and i think mm-hmm. you're right it for one thing it's creepy because he has like such total control over his webbing it's not something that comes out of a web shooter it's something that he has complete total control over to you know suffocate this poor rat and uh i think you're right it really adds to the whole horror aspect of the character and of the issue and then with him lifting weights and being so kind of obsessed with him um it just works to build such good suspense and and i think it's just such a interesting issue between these two characters and a pretty early one too you know they weren't venom wasn't the 
you know, mega star that he is today mm -hmm. um, at this point. I guess this was his first full, yeah, first full cover appearance. Um, and it had the black cat in it. Yeah. And he makes short work of the black cat, which was pretty brutal. It really was. It really was. Yeah. So that was that was pretty rough to see <clears throat> as a kid to see the brutality of the character and, and what he was willing to do and and everything. But um, by the end, you have some classic McFarlane poses. I mean, you know, Spider-Man didn't look like this in the mm -hmm. Romita era. You know, those just those you know impossible uh, proportions, not proportions, but uh, uh, poses, just impossible yeah. poses for any human to get into. Very gymnastic. And I mean, the cross hatching, that picture of Eddie Brock lifting weights, like talk about your cross hatching there, the kind of lines around his face. And, you know, a lot of books have a separate penciler and inker. And in this one, McFarlane is just listed as the artist. In some of right. these issues, he's listed separately. He does the pencils and the inks. Um, but really cool that he did both layers of the work on this, too. Yeah. <clears throat> and I like the part at the towards the end where um, <clears throat> they're like in the it's not a butcher shop. What is this? What would you call this? Just a I don't know. It's like a warehouse with all this meat hanging in. Yeah. It. Yeah. Very horror film esque, too. Yeah. And he drown not drowns him. Well, he does say now drown and he pours him pours like all the blood all over yeah. him and he flips out. And yes, yeah, it was such a little human reaction, you know. It wasn't the hero powering through and, and defeating it, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm covered in it. And then the narrative says that he has a breaking point and he just flips out, he yep. just screams and like flips out. Um, and then he even says on that last page, Okay, so I panicked. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I think I really appreciated that, appreciated that as a kid to see him with those like, you know, very real human emotions that anybody would feel. Yeah. And uh, not something you see from heroes a lot and not something you see from Spider-Man a lot. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, it speaks again to the tension of the story. And then the other thing on that page is, you know, that it's not over because you've got the red lettering introducing the next issue that says, yes, who's coming to dinner. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the issue? No. Wait, let's see. I'm looking at the next issue now. Is this where he defeats him? Eddie visits him and mm -hmm. he has to defeat him. Is this with the bell? Does the bell defeat him? Or no, does he leave him on the island? I I didn't actually check out the following issue. I jumped over to 318, jumping back and forth. But I, I see. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it now. He's um, he plays like a little mind game with the uh, the alien suit. He basically says, you know, he calls for the alien suit, and that's how he defeats Venom. Is that it's kind of torn between him and Eddie, and mm -hmm. that like he causes almost like a feedback between him and him and Eddie, and uh, knocks them both out. But Peter gets up first and just kind of walks away. That was it. Um, 
interesting little conclusion to it there. What was uh what was our next issue? So the final issue in the lineup that I'll just say a few words about because I know we've talked to, we we started out saying we were going to talk about one issue, but I love that we've tackled several in this because it's just hard to pick one. It is hard to pick one. It is. And it that is, is 318. Uh, the last issue that I checked out this time around was 318 with Matt Gargan and just love the character Scorpion. So the, the major credit that I want to give again is to Michelini with the A story and B story because the B story in this one is relatable. It speaks to Peter Parker and Mary Jane and Spider-Man is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And they're just trying to find an apartment in New York. And who can't relate to that? I mean, if I was going to try to find an apartment right now in New York, I don't even know. I think I might almost rather face Venom. Uh, maybe not. I don't <laughs> know. But just to see those human struggles. But then also on the other side, on the flip side, to see uh, one of my favorite characters who uh, has never been given a fully proper treatment in film, that it would be Matt Gargan, the Scorpion, with a Justin Hammer tie-in right there in the issue as well. So another issue that just, I saw the, the cover and I thought, oh, I've got to read that one because, again, one of my favorite characters and and speaking of that way that the hero plays against the villain, I mean, the Spider-Man hyphen or not hyphen and the Scorpion right there. Yeah. Um, the Scorpion has like just one of the best suits, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. a, it's just another classic issue from the Michelini and, and McFarlane team. Um, I would agree with you. Um, I love the character. I love the struggle between them. Um, I love this panel. I'm not sure what page it is because, like I say, I'm on the, the Marvel app right now where Peter, well, Spider-Man, he's in a Spider-Man suit, and he's taking the picture, and he sees the, you know, the reflection of the general is in the lens. Yeah. Such a, such a nice little artistic uh, flourish on it, you know? Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, the same kind of dynamic that Todd McFarlane brought to Peter Parker and Spider-Man, you see those like really impossible poses as he's swinging through. I mean, even the design of the feet, just uh, very cool, very dynamic, flows well. And then that dynamic and flow that's similar with the Scorpion and uh, leaping over the fence on page 17, uh, just the dynamic of these two characters and you get to see the the real threat of the character on pages like page 20 uh panel b where the scorpion's tail is like smashing down and you definitely pick up on again you got the characterization the feet are just trying to live regular life but then you've also got this really heroic amazing spider-man story happening yep absolutely um and I know that Mark McFarlane has like so many little tales to his work, the the dynamic poses, the the spaghetti webbing, but the Spider-Man McFarlane mask mm -hmm. is like my favorite Spider-Man mask of all time. Like it's just, and I know that several artists like through the years, they haven't tried to rip off McFarlane, but maybe they've tried to mimic his eyes 
but I still yeah. feel like no one does it quite like him. Yeah, he's got that touch. He really does. And there's something, I almost want to use the word jagged, edgy. Uh, I mean, there's that kind of quality to it, but then it also it has some of that comic art feel to it at the same time. It's really unique. And even his design and faces, I mean, you have this very detail-oriented kind of focus to it, but then you can also tell that it's comic booky in a way too. So, yeah, uh, really, really cool style. And I'm glad you glad you wanted to revisit some Amazing Spider-Man with Michelini and McFarlane. Yeah, it's like I say, it's one of my favorite eras of comics. The one that we didn't say we would talk about, but I will just kind of give a shout out to is our 323 Mm -hmm. with captain america on the cover i thought that was just such a dynamic captain america um i remember getting this off the stand like i said before my uncle bought it for me um and it was it was a huge deal i i thought i had like you know hit the lottery when when he gave me or when we went and got this issue because it was two of my favorite characters teamed up. They don't team up very much in it, but it's uh, it's still a great little issue, and it's still fun to see somebody like Captain America uh, drawn by you know Todd McFarlane. Uh, that was that was fun to see. But. This this issue was somewhere in my past as a reader too. I recognize this cover. I recognize this issue, and also how I was. I think this was my introduction to Silver Sable. I think this was my Silver Sable introduction issue. Um, so definitely one that's right there in the the classic lineup from this run too for me. Yeah, we've talked a long time. I wanted to talk more about the three hundreds because for me the three hundreds is like. <clears throat> the the ultimate spider-man era um you had mcfarland followed by eric larson followed by followed by mark bagley mm-hmm. it's all just wonderful art and and wonderful storytelling it kind of lost me at the clone saga I'll admit that. same same it got a little twisty it got a little turny yeah, uh, that I you know, Secret Wars was great, but when you get into the Clone Saga, I don't know if they were trying to top the Venom Carnage storyline. I'm not sure what the inspiration there was, but they kind of lost me there too. I don't know. I may have mentioned it in another podcast, but it was supposed to be like a six six issue um, storyline, and then it was supposed to be done and. The Peter that we had been reading about was supposed to just go off with Mary Jane. And the Ben Riley character was then supposed to be Spider-Man for, you know, the foreseeable future. But apparently editorial shakeups and, you know, uh, uncertain directions just led to kind of a mess in storytelling. But um, which is it's funny because I remember it being not very popular. Mm-hmm. And. I kind of felt it was so unpopular that they came out with the untold tales of Spider-Man to kind of give Spider-Man readers something to kind of grab onto and read, which is a phenomenal series by Kurt Busiek as the writer. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's funny is that I find that it is somehow regaining popularity, kind of like it's maybe, I guess maybe it's just nostalgia for it. But it kind of surprised me to see 
a surge in popularity for that story that I didn't feel like was very popular at the time. I felt like a lot of people just wanted it done and over yeah. with. Yeah, I tried to revisit it a couple of years ago. It might have been a year or two ago. And it still just didn't grab me quite like uh, some of the other storylines do with Spider-Man. And, and shout out, you mentioned a, a couple of great names there, but uh, Bagley, what a nice guy. What a nice guy to meet in person. Uh, phenomenal artist, great run on Spider-Man. Um, yeah, just just a, a good guy, good run. And I don't know, maybe one of these days I'll go back and revisit the Clone Saga and enjoy it in some way, but it's just not gained that traction for me as of yet. Yeah, and he's still drawing Spider-Man, isn't he? Like, he's still drawing some title today of uh-huh. Spider-Man. And he's drawn Amazing Spider-Man. Then he hopped over to Ultimate Spider-Man. And, I mean, talking about drawing webs, and, you, you know, you said it's kind of complicated to draw the character because of the oh, webs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine how many webs that man has drawn in his life for sure <laughs> for sure Crazy. Yeah. but i will also agree with you that he was super nice to meet at heroes con he uh he signed a poster for uh my son sam who uh, was really into spider-man and venom and carnage at the time and he he just signed that uh, poster and spoke to him for a minute it was really cool it was awesome yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. nice guy. Um, well, I wanted to talk more about Larson and Bagley and other storylines, but I don't know. I think we've talked talked a long time. Um, we, we could go on. We could go on about Eric Larson. Uh, he did other stuff, too, by the way. He did things. <laughs> um, Todd McFarlane went on to do memorable characters, but uh, the, the, he had some interesting stuff and continues to. Um, shall we talk about the next issue? Yeah, talk to us about it. This is more, this is definitely more your, uh, your, your bag. Tell us about it. But let's, let's see what I've got in my bag. We've got this whole Marvel DC. It's not a rivalry. I mean, for them, it probably is, but for us, it's just kind of checking out what's next in line that we want to talk about. So for the next edition of the podcast which will be episode 12 episode 12 we're going to talk about a little story called invasion exclamation mark i'm not sure if you're supposed to say the exclamation mark but i probably will um invasion and i'm going to be focusing on book three we'll check out book three but we can also go back through and see the storyline the reason i'm picking book three we'll talk about next time but it's world without heroes Uh, Just an issue that I found on a spinner rack at a pharmacy and has stuck with me as a story that I love. There's a particular panel that I love that we'll talk a little bit about. So that'll be on the Comic Obsessive, episode 12, coming soon to a Spotify near you, I guess is what you would say. That's right. And if you're still out there listening, we would love to hear from you. Uh, email us at thecomicobsessive at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear your emails. We'd love to read them on air. Uh, we'd love recommendations, feedback. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Jason's doing everything right. I'm doing everything wrong. But tell us. Tell us. Talk to us about it. 
and, and we do take recommendations. So if you have an issue that you want to hear us spread comic love about, uh, absolutely. Be glad yeah. to check out some new issues and, and check out comics anytime. As I said, uh, Adam mentioned checking out an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and we couldn't just stop at one. We had to eat the whole bag of chips. That's right, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, this was a great, uh, this was a fun episode. I really enjoyed talking about Spider-Man. I enjoyed talking to you, Jason, about Spider-Man. So I guess the only thing I have left to say is to stay obsessive. And I'll add, because when you when you talk about Spider-Man, you should always say thwip. I'll say right. thwip at least once. And right. stay obsessive, everybody. All right.